What a story. Good morning, my name is Jerome. For those that don't know me, I'm the Associate Minister here at St Mark's. I trust, um, Jodie and Jason, there'll be many uh, good bedtime stories uh, that Byron will enjoy. And Jason, um, as a father to a son, uh, there's that wonderful time when you have to decide when you get to share those wonderful stories, Star Wars, um, all those Marvel superhero movies, when can I sit down and watch these with Byron at an appropriate age? Um, but there are great stories to be heard, and these stories, uh, they're everywhere. They're in our movies, they're in our songs, they're in the culture. They're, they're the things that we tell ourselves. And these stories have the power to shape how we view and how we approach our future. Do we come to our future, do we come to our days fearful? Or are we somehow given hope? Do we have a sense of confidence? And where will that come from? Some of you might, um, who have been working with us through this series in Acts, you might have a sense that I'm touching on that theme of fear again. Uh, last week, Andrew introduced that theme of fear, and we looked at how the disciples are so confident, they're fearless. But don't be surprised if you keep hearing themes reappear and reoccur. If you had Bibles opened, um, I'd ask you to just flick back and you look at chapter 4. We're looking at chapter 5 today. If you flick back, you'll see reoccurring stories, reoccurring themes and patterns. Um, think about this one for a moment. So in chapter 4, chapter 5, um, and, and this, this pattern, you can look at it throughout Acts and you can continue to watch this pattern occur. So there's this new movement. We'll call them Christians. They're not called Christians yet, but there's this new movement, these new believers. And their activity, their ministry, it gets attention. And as people are drawn, they hear the story. And many believe. And then there's opposition. There's persecution. There's threat. But no matter how much opposition, no matter how much persecution, no matter how much suffering, this movement continues to go out. And so you see that in chapter 4, you see it in chapter 5, and both those stories have uh, the um, picture of the apostles being put in jail as a form of that persecution. And so don't be surprised if these themes keep coming up. And so for me, again, I want to look at that theme of fear. I want to look at it from a slightly different angle and say to you that every fear, whatever fear, has something to do with what's yet to come. Every fear has something to do with the future. What I mean is if I have a fear of a snake, what I'm afraid of is if I get bitten by the snake, I'm afraid of what's to follow. If I'm afraid of death, maybe it's the uncertainty of what's yet to come. If I'm afraid of public speaking, maybe it's I'm afraid of the reactions yet to come. There's always, with fear, something to do with the future. Why do we fear the future? I think it has something to do with an uncertain, um, there's an uncertainty about a favourable outcome. We have this picture of how we'd like things to be, but we're not always sure that that's how it will be. And so there's an uncertainty about a favourable outcome. But in these stories, these true stories from the Bible, 
and particularly the story of the good news, the gospel. I believe that we have a story that indeed gives us great hope, great promise of a liberating future. And so why do I think of um, fear in this story? Because our story starts there as well. So in verse um, 13, so it said that the apostles were meeting, there were signs and wonders, um, people were gathering, but it said that no one else dared join the apostles, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So last week, um, Andrew uh, quite comprehensively gave us these foundations of fearlessness, uh, that these disciples, rather than just saying they were filled with the Holy Spirit, what more could we understand about what was going on for them? And Andrew talked about these foundations of fearlessness. He talked about the resurrection of Jesus. You'll hear the apostles constantly talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because if their master can come back from the dead, they don't have to fear death. The name of Jesus, it's a new identity. If somebody runs into the room and says, I'm here in the name of the king, they're not here in their own authority and they're not here on their own agenda. They're here on the, on the agenda and on the authority of the king. This is a new identity, a new sense of self. There's the presence of Jesus. They're not alone. There's God, the creator. And this was common both not only to the new believers but to the Jewish people as well, that God was creator of the heavens and the earth. He does whatever he pleases and his plans do not fail. And of course they were filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And there was the community of believers through whom they could also gather confidence and encouragement. But I want to focus on the name of Jesus and God the Creator and see how these two ideas converge to give us a promising and liberating future. And so in our reading, I believe we're given every reason to be confident about what might follow. So why shouldn't we be afraid? Well, when we look at these disciples, what do we anticipate for their future? Well, at the beginning of our story, there are signs and wonders. There's great blessing. Maybe that's what their, what their future will be like. And there are certainly um, parts of the church that will emphasise that. that. This is the kingdom of God, that we should expect signs and wonders and blessing and healing. And we should. But we know that we're waiting for the fulfilment of this kingdom in the coming of Jesus. And we know that we live in this overlapping time. And so it would be um, a bit strange to only imagine a life for these disciples, for these new believers, of one of miracles and wonders and blessing. It would be like missing the rest of the story where they were actually put in jail. And if we kept reading, we would hear that they were threatened and then flogged, humiliated. And so what is in store? What's ahead for these disciples, because it seems that no matter what is ahead, whether there are miracles, signs and wonders, or whether there is suffering and opposition, yet they move forward confidently. One of the first places I hear and think about what might follow 
is actually, so if you were following that story, there are signs and wonders. The religious leaders become jealous. They put them in jail. And then they ask for them to be brought in. And so when the captain of the guard, the temple guard, goes to get them, the jail is locked, the guards are there, but the apostles are not in the jail cell. Miraculously, they're not there. And it says, um, on hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Wondering what this might lead to. I'm wondering about their wondering. I wonder whether their wondering is starting to connect some dots. I'm wondering whether they've seen this before. That at every turn in the ministry of Jesus, at every time they tried to trick him, every time they tried to trap him, every time they tried to manipulate or dominate him, he not only seemed to escape, he seemed to triumph over them. And then finally, when they nailed him to the cross, they had to deal with an empty tomb. I'm wondering whether any of them are starting to make some connections. That at every point that they try to thwart Jesus, they were thwarted. I'm wondering whether any of them started to connect some of the dots. In fact, if we did read on, what you'd find is that after the apostles are brought in and they say, hey, who are we supposed to obey, you or God? We know what's happened. Jesus was raised from the dead. He's been exalted. He's been made saviour. And we are witnesses to these things. And after, this, after hearing this, they're furious. They want to put them to death. And then um, one of the Pharisees among them stands up. One of their own stands up and he says, um, hold on, let's just put them outside for a minute. And, he, and then the uh, apostles are put outside. And then he speaks to them. And he says, hey, remember there was this guy. He, he came up. He was a leader. And a lot of people followed him. But then he died. And, and uh, his followers just dispersed. And then another leader came up. And then many people were following him. And he died. And they all scattered. And then listen carefully to what he says. He says, therefore, in this present case, I advise you, Leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. Listen to these words because you can hang the rest of Acts on it. You can look at the rest of Acts and see if these words are right. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men you will only find yourselves fighting against God. If this is of God, you won't be able to stop it. So as you read the rest of Acts, that's what you see. You see an unstoppable movement. So is this of human origin or is it of God? That was the reasoning. And so you might say, that's great. Okay, these, if, if we can walk in the purposes of God... God will be on our side. But what if I don't know all of the purposes of God, God's grand schemes? How do I know the will of God? But I think there is a promising and liberating future. Let me zoom it in for a little bit. Out of all God's great grand purposes, the Bible clearly speaks, particularly in relation to humanity, of his great purposes of salvation. We can see that. 
We know that we live in a broken world. We know that humanity has turned away from God. But we know that there's a God who loves us. We know that there's a God who longs to save and redeem. And so just in case we're not sure. Oops, I think I've hit the wrong one. There we go. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, a euphemism for death, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. That in God's purposes of salvation to save us, it's not only that, it's so that we can be with him, that we may live together with him. God's desire is for our union with him. You see, this is a liberating and promising future. This is a liberating and promising purpose of God. It's not our purpose. We haven't come up with it. It's God's purpose that we might be made one with him. And being made one with him, not like some Eastern religions where you become one with God and you're lost in the oneness of God. No, God created us uniquely. God's not going to abolish that. Rather, our uniqueness and who we truly are finds its fulfilment in union with God. We were made for this union. As we've been working through Acts, uh, we've been uh, using this particular phrase to describe what's happening. As you look through Acts, what is happening? We're talking about a partnership with God. This union, this partnership with God, and it happens through the heavenly presence of Jesus and the earthly presence of the Holy Spirit. This is God's purpose. This is God's great plan, not our idea, his idea. And his plans don't fail. And his plans in Jesus are always a yes and amen. We have every confidence Listen to how Paul, um, not Paul, how Peter and the apostles say it. So in their speech, they're saying, hey, who is obey God or you? We're going to obey God. Why? Because we've seen that Jesus has been raised from the dead. We know that he's been exalted. We know that he's saved him. We know that he's, been, he's granted forgiveness of sins. And then he says in Acts chapter 5, verse 32, we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Listen to those three phrases. We are witnesses of the, uh, these things. That's, that's a human witness. And so is the Holy Spirit. That's divine witness. But listen to this third phrase. Whom God has given to those who obey him. Whom God has given to those who obey him. It's like the two have merged into one whom God has given to those who obey him. It's almost as though there's a new creation bearing witness to a new kind of life. There's a new creation, this union whom God has given to those who obey him. It's almost as though as Peter and the apostles speak, they're speaking the words of God. We are witnesses, so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. St. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. 
You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. How many hearts are restless? How many of our generations growing up, hearts are restless? Why? Because they were made for God. They were made for union with God through the heavenly presence of Jesus and the earthly presence of the Holy Spirit. And we will always be restless, fretful or frozen, unable to face our future with confidence until we find our rest in God. I wonder whether we often feel so tired and exhausted because we're still learning how to be one with God, how to come to him. You see, in Jesus' name, this is what it's about, that in Jesus' name, this is a new identity, in Jesus' name, God has freed us for a new life in Jesus as we go with the Spirit. And this is a purpose that will never fail. But we will never learn to go with the Spirit until we learn to love Jesus above all else. And we learn to love Jesus above all else when we see his love for us. So many people are living not free, but fearful. Fearful that they don't know whether they will live the purpose that they were called to live or figure it out. Fearful of what may come. But Jesus, you see, and when we talk about freedom, we talk about it very differently. You see, when we talk about it, we're really usually talking about our rights. I have a right to this and I have a right to that. I have a right to this kind of life and a right to that kind of life. Jesus was so free that he was free to give up his right to his own agenda. That's how free he was. He was free to give up his right to his own agenda, not my will, but yours be done. In a sense, Jesus went to jail on our behalf so that we could go free. Jesus gave up his rights. Jesus allowed himself to be bound. He took our punishment so that we could go free. And because of that, he's been given power and authority to break open our jails. Just as the angel of the Lord was sent and opened up the jail and told the apostles to go out and tell the people about this new life, so too does our Lord come to us each and every day and open up the jail. We're actually not in a jail, but why? If we, we sometimes forget that we've been set free. So Jesus comes each day and opens up that jail and says, go out and tell all the people about this new life. But he doesn't just send us out. He actually wants us to know the warmth of his embrace before we go out. 
that we experience the freedom that we have in being known, redeemed and loved. Then we go out and tell all the people about this new life. God is committed to our new life in Jesus. He wants us to experience true freedom in him and he wants us to go and tell all people about this new life. Let us pray. Father, you sent your son, Jesus, together with your father, you sent the Holy Spirit, that we might be one with you, O God, free to live and proclaim a new life. Let it be so. Amen.